Gospel of Mark chapter 8. We're going to read just a few verses beginning, please, at verse 34. Let's read together. And he summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? O Lord, once again I ask you to open our hearts that we may hear and receive your word And hear what the Spirit will say to us in the midst of the preaching. I lift up other life-giving churches and I pray blessing upon them. I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you. And I pray especially for our sons and daughters that have wandered from the faith. Draw them back, O Lord. Don't let one of them be lost. And Lord, I pray if there's one in this service, either in-house or online, that is not in right relationship with you. I pray that before this day is over, they will surrender their heart and their life to Jesus. And I pray this in the only name that matters, the strong name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. There are a lot of ways to calculate the worth of a person. One way is to add up all of your assets, your bank accounts, your properties, your, any possessions that you have, all of the stuff that is yours. Add it all up, your assets. Then subtract from that all of your liabilities. What you have left is your net worth. There are some things that are difficult to put a price on. Things like companionship, love, support. If you were were to ask me today to place a value on my wife, I would tell you she's priceless. Because I'm trying to get brownie points any way I possibly can. If you're looking to purchase life insurance, the insurance companies have what are called actuarial tables. These are statistical norms of expected lifespan based on a variety of factors. Things like your sex, your race, your age, your overall health condition, whether or not you engage in certain activities that are considered high risk. Your income, your geography, all all of these are some of the factors that they take into account. If you fall within acceptable parameters based on their formula, then they will sell you the insurance and the amount of coverage available and the cost for the coverage is determined by how you meet those criteria. Some time ago, the University of Indiana conducted a study in which they determined that if you were to sell the various component parts of your body, everything from your bone marrow to your DNA to your lungs to your kidneys to your heart, even your brain, your body 
and all those parts like that would be worth up to $45 million. Of course, obviously, if you sold all those parts, you would no longer be alive and couldn't spend that $45 million. It would do you absolutely no good. And since selling body parts is illegal, let's consider a different way of calculating the worth of your body. If you were to hook yourself up to a machine that could measure the elemental components contained in your physical body, you would find that 99% of the mass of the human body is comprised of six chemical elements. Oxygen, carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, calcium, and phosphorus. If you look at the market value of these six elements that are contained in the amounts that they are contained in your body, along with there's something like 54 other elements in much, much, much smaller quantities, the later, if you took all of that together, the latest numbers I've been able to find says that the total market value of the chemical elements that make up your body comes to about $160. So why don't you just look over at the people near you and tell them they're worth at least $160 today. Some that are heavier are worth a little bit more, I've found. I'm just reporting what, what I found, okay? Now, that's interesting to me because every year, millions millions of dollars are spent in this country to clothe and to try and improve the looks and the smell of these $160 bundles. And what is spent to clothe and beautify is nothing compared to what is spent to repair these bodies when they malfunction. Between out-of-pocket expenses and what is spent to insure against major medical problems, it adds up to an enormous drain on the budget. An incredible amount of money is spent every year just to keep operational and functional these bodies whose net worth is about $160. People live and act and order their lives as if this were all that was available. When this life, which hangs by a precarious thread, is threatened, we spare no expense to squeeze the last drop out of it. We run to specialists, we go to the finest facilities, we try the latest techniques. Nothing is too unreasonable if it will buy at least one more day of life on this earth. Now, the fact that so much time and energy is expended in caring for these physical bodies is not the problem. The problem comes when you live as if your physical body is the most important thing or you live as if it's all you have. See, if you're not careful, you'll get caught up in the slick advertising and buy into the sales pitch that says you will be more desirable if you'll just wear a certain cologne. Or you'll be more important if you drive a certain kind of automobile. Or you'll be more influential if you carry a certain credit card. Or your self-worth will be increased if you stay at certain hotels when you travel. Or your self-esteem will be improved if you just use a certain brand of toothpaste. 
The message of the media and of the culture is one that says, indulge yourself. Get all you can while you can. Live for today. It's a message that says your value is contained in the stuff you possess, and the more stuff you have, the more valuable you are. It's a message that says, live for yourself. If you want it, go after it. Your happiness is the most important thing. It's a message that of present tense, live in the moment, today is what's really important, don't even consider tomorrow. Well, in the midst of the pressure from the culture, the Word of God steps up and very boldly proclaims that there is more to your life than what you can see. There is more to your life than the time you spend on this earth in your physical body. There is more to your life than what you can measure by an actuarial table or value by the cost of the component chemical elements. I want to remind you today that you have an eternal soul whose cost and worth cannot be calculated. Your soul is a treasure that is incomparable. And there are three things I can think of that cause something to be valuable. The first is rarity. Over 40 years ago, I was a struggling musician and looking to purchase a piano. At that time, I was just looking for one that sounded good, played well, and was in my price range, which was just this side of free. I borrowed $5,000 from a friend to make the purchase of a piano that I found after looking literally through a warehouse of three floors. One piano slammed up against the other. I played every piano in the, in the building, did not find one I liked. And finally, in a little tiny place up in North Miami in a warehouse with a bare concrete floor. It was like a tin shed. Found this piano. It was a Steinway Model B grand piano. Well, I was a struggling musician and I didn't have the presence of mind to really investigate what I was buying. I just knew it felt good and sounded good. It was only much later that I discovered I had stumbled upon a unique instrument. According to the serial number, this piano was built in 1889. It's an old-style grand, having only seven octaves of keys instead of the customary seven and a third octaves. I tell people it only goes to an A on the top instead of the C because I couldn't afford the last four notes. (laughs) The experts tell me that this particular piano appears to be a hybrid instrument. The outer case and rim of it seems to have been made in New York at the Steinway factory there, but the inner workings and action are from the factory in Hamburg, Germany. I haven't been able to find out exactly how many of these instruments were made, but I'm quite certain, based on what I have found, that there weren't many, and there were even few, and there are even fewer That are still in existence. Forty years ago, I was just looking for a piano that I liked the way it played and sounded. God blessed me with a rare jewel of an instrument, and it is rare. Today, that $5,000 investment is appraised at anywhere from $50,000 to $85,000. God is good. I didn't know what I was getting. 
And I'll tell you, this is the reason also that certain coins are so valuable. It's because they're so rare. This is what makes limited editions so valuable. It's because there aren't many of them around. They're, they're rare. When something is rare, it's valuable. I want to tell you the same is true of your soul. You are unique. There's no one else like you. You are valuable because when God made you, he made you special, one of a kind. Your fingerprints, the tone, the quality, the timbre, the sound of your voice, even the internal shape of your eye, they're all unique to you. You are an original. Why would you ever want to try and conform to be like somebody else when God has masterfully created only one of you? Not only is something deemed valuable because of its rarity, but second, because of its durability. Think about it. Something that is disposable. Use it one time, throw it away. It's wor- it's, it isn't worth nearly as much as something that is long-lasting, enduring. Something temporal is far less valuable than something that is eternal. Well, God's Word would say to you today that you are more than just hide and hair. You are more than flesh and bone. You are more than organs and tissue. You are more than cells and chromosomes. There is an eternal dimension to your life. See, you not only have a body that is temporal, but you also have a soul that is eternal. And long after your body has returned to the dust from which it came, your soul will continue to live throughout the endless ages of eternity. You need to remember today that you're not just an accident of nature. You're not just the result of natural selection and survival of the fittest. But you are Genesis 1:26, made in the image and likeness of God. You are Psalm 8 and 5, made a little lower than the angels and crowned with glory and honor. You are Psalm 139 and 14, fearfully and wonderfully made. You are the crowning achievement of God's creative power and energy. And not only is your body formed and fashioned by God, but Job 32 and 8 says, there is a spirit in man and the breath of the Almighty gives them understanding. The wise man in Proverbs 20 and 27 said, the spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the innermost parts of his being. This is what the apostle Paul was talking about when he wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18 and said, therefore, We do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comprehension. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. See, your body is just a temporary housing for the real you. There is an eternal dimension to your life. You are going to live forever. It's not a question of if you're going to live forever, just a question of where. There are only two options. I know people don't like pastors to stand up and preach about this, but here you go. We're, we're already into it, so we might as well just go on with it. 
Only two options for eternity. You're either going to spend eternity separated from God and from all that's good and lovely, being tormented in a place called hell, or you're going to spend eternity enjoying the splendors of heaven. You have a choice as to who you're going to serve today. But once you make your choice, you do not have a choice of the consequences of that choice. Only two options. Your soul is valuable because of its rarity. Your soul is valuable because of its durability. Then I would tell you something is valuable because of its desirability. You know, right now, the real estate market is, is just really hot. It's booming. And people are getting into bidding wars for houses. They're paying several thousand dollars above the initial asking price. And there are a lot of things that factor into this. I mean, low interest rates, a limited number of houses available for the number of people looking to buy. That's just two of the things that are driving this market right now. One of the things I know, though, is that something is only worth what someone is willing to pay for it. I told you how my piano was appraised. <laughs> it's only worth that much if somebody's willing to give me that much money for it. It doesn't matter what the appraised value is, if nobody will pay that, it's not worth it. The price the purchaser is willing to pay for something is what determines its actual worth or value. The higher the price, the more valuable something is. I want you to know that your soul is a treasure that is incomparable. You are more valuable to God than this whole world can afford. See, you are so valuable that the God of glory sacrificed his only begotten son for you. You are so valuable that Jesus shed his blood on Calvary's cross for you. This is what it's talking about when, when the apostle writes in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is what Jesus is talking about when he said in Mark 10 and 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That's the meaning of 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Knowing that you were redeemed with, not with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. I want to tell you, you are so valuable to God that he patiently waits and works and woos and gives every opportunity for you to be saved. This is what 2 Peter 3 and 9 means when it says, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count 
slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. I want to tell you today, you are so valuable to God that he gave his only begotten son as the supreme sacrifice to pay the penalty for your sin so that all you have to do is believe on his name and you will not perish, but you can have eternal life. That's how valuable you are. The text talks about your soul that is a treasure that is incomparable. I see also in this text a trade that is inconceivable. Jesus asked in verses 36 and 37, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? People make crazy trades all the time. They do. There's someone today trading the security of your family for one more bet. There's someone trading the blessing and trust of your marriage for one night of sensual pleasure. There's someone trading providing for your children for one more drink. There's someone trading your health for one more puff, one more hit, one more shot. There's someone trading your calling and your purpose for the siren song of convenience. There's someone trading your destiny for temporarily satisfying fleshly desires. You know, the first man, Adam, made a crazy trade. He traded paradise for a little bit of knowledge. Balaam traded the favor of God for the favor of men. Esau traded blessing for a bowl of soup. Ananias traded holiness for hypocrisy. The rich young ruler traded life for wealth. Judas traded the Savior for silver. I want to tell you today, even if you could, if, you could, if it were possible, if you could gain the whole world, it's not worth your soul. You would be getting ripped off. Let me ask you, what are you trading for your soul? Here's a better question. Is what you're living for worth Jesus dying for? There's a treasure that is incomparable. There's a trade that is inconceivable. Finally, I want you to see there's a tragedy that is inexcusable. One thing is certain. You have a soul that will not die. You're going to live forever. Your soul is going to exist long after your body has decayed. The question is, where? What will be your final destination? Can I just tell you today, anyone who goes to hell has to work for it. Because you don't have to go to hell. 
God has given a plan that is as easy as turning to him and allowing him to transform your life. He does the work. All you have to do is tell him you need him and then just stay out of his way. That's all you have to do. Do you value your soul enough to turn from living life according to your rules and begin to live it according to God's will? Do you value your soul enough to repent of your sin, to surrender your life to Jesus, to trust in Him as your only hope of salvation, to commit your life to be lived to the praise of His glory? Or are the temporary pleasures of today that are here today and gone tomorrow, are they more valuable to you than the eternal joys of tomorrow? What is more important to you than ensuring your eternal destiny? What is it that so presses in on you and causes you to live only for today and to ignore eternity? What is it that you value so much you would exchange it for a right relationship with the Heavenly Father? What is it? What is it that keeps you from fully surrendering your life to the Lordship of Jesus? Jesus has made salvation so easy by grace through faith. That's it. It's so easy, it would be an inexcusable tragedy to lose your soul and miss the splendor of heaven. You are so valuable that Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, laid aside his glorious heavenly robes in order to come to this earth as a man. He lived as the only blameless, sinless man. He loved you and valued you so much that he willingly endured the suffering and the shame of a crucifixion. He died on the cross as the full and complete payment for your sin. He rose from the dead to validate his claims and to demonstrate his power to give you eternal life. And now he offers an exchange. He offers abundant life for your old empty life. He offers righteousness for your unrighteousness. He offers satisfaction for your disappointments. He offers joy for your sorrow. He offers rest for your weariness. He offers strength for your weakness. He offers wholeness for your brokenness. He offers completeness for your deficiency. Because of his completed work on your behalf, you can trade your failures and your erasures and your hurts and your searching. You can trade it all in for his abundant life. You do not have to spend eternity away from the divine blessing of the Almighty. But you can trade your sin for His salvation. You can trade your anxiety for His peace. You can trade your despair for His hope. You can trade your unrestrained way of life for His cross. And if you do that, then one of these days you'll be able to trade that cross for a crown of glory that the Lord Himself will present to you. That's the great exchange. Some time ago, on a hot summer day in South Florida, a little boy decided to go for a swim in the old swimming hole behind his house. In a hurry to dive into the water, he ran out the back door, leaving a string of shoes, socks, and shirt as he ran. He flew into the water, not realizing that as he swam toward the middle of the lake, an alligator was swimming toward him. His father, working in the yard, saw the two, 
as they got closer and closer together. In utter fear, he ran toward the water, yelling to his son as loudly as he could. Hearing the panic in his voice, the little boy became alarmed and and made a U-turn to swim to his father. Too late, just as he reached his father, the alligator reached him. From the dock, the father grabbed his little boy by the arms just as the alligator clamped down on his legs. And that began an incredible tug of war between the two. The alligator was much stronger than the father, but the father was much too passionate to let go. A farmer happened to drive by, heard the screams, raced from his truck, took aim, and shot the alligator. Remarkably, after weeks and weeks and weeks in the hospital, the little boy managed to survive. His legs, though, were extremely scarred by the vicious attack of the gator. A newspaper reporter came to interview the boy after the trauma and asked him if he would show him his scars. The little boy pulled up his pants legs to reveal the marks, the ugly marks that were were still healing. But then with obvious pride, he said to the reporter, but look at my arms. As he rolled back his sleeves, there were the remains of deep scratches where his father's fingernails dug into his flesh in his effort to hang on to the son he loved. The little boy said, I have great scars on my arms too. He said, I have them because my dad wouldn't let go. I suspect I'm preaching to someone who can identify with that little boy. You have scars too. Oh, not not from an alligator, but you have scars of a painful past. Some of those scars are unsightly and have caused deep, deep regret. But some of those wounds you have are because God has refused to let you go. In the midst of your struggle, he's been there holding on to you, refusing to give up on you, refusing to let go. I don't know how it is for you, but for me, the last few weeks have been a painful reminder of just how fragile life is. As a pastor, when I look around at the suffering and the grief It causes me to one more time commit to doing everything I can to help make certain people over whom I have any influence are prepared for eternity. That's why I preach messages like this. I want to make sure if I have any influence over you whatsoever that you are prepared for eternity. Life is short. Eternity is long. Are you ready for eternity? See, the real power of the gospel isn't just for time. It's for eternity. The message of the gospel isn't just how to live your best life now. It's how to enjoy the best that eternity has to offer. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15 and 19, If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. And he goes on in verse 22 and says, 
for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. This is the hope of the gospel. This is the message of good news that for the person who is in Christ, death concludes one chapter, but it's the start of a grand and glorious new beginning. So as I bring this message to a conclusion, I ask you, what value do you place on your soul? Do you value it enough to ensure that it is adequately prepared for eternity? Maybe you're part of this service today and you know that if your physical life suddenly were to end, you're not ready to meet God. You need to surrender your life to Jesus. You need to stop ignoring Him and you need to go His way and follow His plan for your life. Or maybe you're that person who has walked with the Lord, but you've grown cold and complacent in your relationship. You need to repent. Remove those things from your life that are keeping you from being the person Jesus has called you to be. You need to discard those things that hinder your walk with Him. The Lord is calling you. He's calling for you to resist the urge to live only for today and only for yourself. He's calling for you to reevaluate the worth of your soul in light of eternity. For what shall it profit if you gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? Bow with me in prayer, please. Lord Jesus, I'm asking that the Holy Spirit will do what I cannot do. That is, convince people of their need for you. I pray, O oh Lord, that if there is one person listening to this message that is not in right relationship with you, that somehow you will bring them up short and that you will arrest their heart, give them the courage to surrender to you in this moment. For that one that has been walking in a far country, they've just wandered, they're not fully committed, I pray, oh Lord, that you will draw them as well. Remind them, life is short, eternity is long. Don't let one person who hears this message be lost, I pray. And today, I'm not going to ask anybody to raise a hand. I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to ask you to fill out a card. This is not for my benefit. This is between you 
and God. But if you are not in right relationship with the Lord, I beg of you, surrender your life to Jesus right now. All you have to do is just say, Jesus, forgive me. Help me. I will live for you. I trust you. And in that moment, you can have an assurance your sins are forgiven and your eternity is secure. Won't you do that today? Just say it in your own heart. Jesus, forgive me. Help me. Forgive me and help me. Thank you, Lord. Make it real. Make it real. The lives of your people. And Lord, for those that are walking with you, I pray that this message will be one to encourage them in the knowledge of what is really going on, to encourage them to continue keeping on, to not lose heart, but to move forward in you. We believe that you're coming soon, Lord. We want to be ready. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your promise. Seal your work in our lives. By the power of your spirit, I pray. In that matchless name of Jesus. Amen.